chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It's a brand new year. People like to say, new year, new me. Uh, something that has been coming around a little, late, a little more lately is about what we need to leave in 2016. And another product of, of this being January 1st is people are making a lot of New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to start that business. This year, I'm going to go back to school. This year, I'm going to lose 25 pounds. But psychologists have said that when you make a New Year's resolution or you make a resolution of any kind, if you don't do certain other things, it's really just a waste of time. Amen. Amen. They say that the reason it would be a waste of time is that we cannot fundamentally change our behavior until we fundamentally understand who we are. And we are shaped by what we believe. If you want to make big changes in your life, you got to be willing to dig deep into your whole belief system and the reason for your existence. It's not helpful to resolve to go to the gym if you don't deal with why you still like staying on the couch. Is the mic? Hello? Check, check. One, two. You can't resolve to lose weight if you don't resolve why you love McDonald's so much. You have to get down to the core of it. Resolutions are about what you'll do, but real change comes as a result of knowing who you are, amen? What you fundamentally believe about yourself, about the world, about God, about how your beliefs shape that behavior. When you get down to that level of introspection, that level of self-awareness, you'll get past January 1st with the behavior changes. Amen. Yeah. A resolution is a firm decision not to do something. It's the action of solving a problem or a dispute or a contentious matter. But you can't have a resolution until you are resolute. You have to be admirable, purposeful, determined, unwavering. You have to be firm, unswerving. In other words, it's nice to come up with resolutions. But until you really address the big reason behind it and looking at why you operate that way, it's going to be hard to change. Now, there are plenty of people that like to talk about different resolutions there. You can just Google online why I am 
and a whole bunch of suggestions will come up. Why I am a Democrat. Why I am a Republican. Why I am a liberal. Why I am conservative. There are plenty of these things online, but one of the most popular ones, the ones that are growing in, in numerically is why I am no longer a Christian. People have decided to stop believing in Jesus Christ and they want to put videos up. They want to go to YouTube. They want to go to Facebook Live. They want to blog about it. They want to talk about it and talk about how the pastor is in the pulpit lying to you on Sunday. Uh, just a little bit of personal uh, revelation about myself. They say that your misery is where your ministry is going to be. And so my ministry has often been the type of person I find myself around are people that have grown up in the church, went off to college, heard somebody talk a little slick, and because they didn't have a ground, uh, a firm grounding in Christ, they became another religion. And I would submit to you that I feel like those people left not because they no longer believe, but because they didn't believe in the first place. They had their mama's religion. They had their big mama's religion. And so when these trials and tribulations came because they weren't anchored and they didn't have anything to hold on to for themselves, they got washed away. And so I focus on that a lot. A lot of the former people because for whatever reason in my life, God has brought me around a lot of those people. And I submit to you that it's not about your mama's religion. It's not about your grandmother's religion. You have to be able to find God for yourself. And I thought about that when I was preparing this message because we are talking about something that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's writing to the church at Ephesus about why he is a Christian. He is a prisoner of the gospel, both captive to Christ and in jail. Uh, even though the apostle Paul was being mistreated, he still maintained his mission. Let the church say mission. He had a mission to do, to, to to preach God's word to the Gentiles. And I have to imagine it's kind of hard to have been in a position like Apostle Paul. Here you were, someone that was going in houses with other believers and hurting them. Beating them up as he was saw. He would go into these people's houses, fight them, beat them up, get them dragged before courts. And all of a sudden on the way to Damascus, he was blinded. Jesus came to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so here you have somebody that has switched teams. And while his heart is genuine, I can imagine that when he would walk up into somebody's churches after being converted, they might have been a little tense. That might have been a little hard to believe. Weren't you the one that persecuted us? And so here you have someone who's trying to do right by Jesus now. And you have some people on the side that won't believe him. But then on the back end, you have the other people that don't believe him as well. And they are persecuting him. Oh, you want to talk about Jesus? Well, you can catch these rods up against your back. You can catch this prison term. So here you are between a rock and a hard place, not knowing where your help is going to come from. And we may have had a rough 2016, 
But I submit to you that even though we've had a rough 2016, we can still look to the hills from which cometh our help. And so he's being mistreated, but he's still going on his mission. And while we're talking about those who don't necessarily believe and they look at these things as lies, I have a hard time believing that. When you tell a lie, it's easy to tell a lie if it's going to get you something. If you're going to get some money, it might be a little easier to lie. If you're going to get some prestige, some status, it might be easy to tell a lie. But it's hard to tell a lie and still get punished for it. Uh, When they were going around talking about Jesus during the time that these scriptures were written, they didn't have churches for people to go to. They didn't have people dressing up in fancy robes, coming into sheltered buildings to learn about Jesus. They had to hide. And those that preached about Jesus got beat up and dragged out of cities. Those that preached about Jesus got crucified upside down. Those that preached about Jesus got dipped in boiling oil. I would not do all that for a lie. So I find it hard to believe that I would write about something that I knew could cause my health to be damaged for a lie. Wasn't no mega churches going around then. Wasn't no prestigious titles for it. So they did it because they believed it and it was the truth. There's no reason to go into a tomb and roll away a stone to perpetuate a lie. The, The stone had the Roman seal upon it. And what does that mean, Pastor? Well, when you broke the Roman seal during that day, those who broke the Roman seal got broken themselves. So I'm willing to do all of that for a lie? I just can't see that. But even though he was being mistreated, he still followed the mission. And he followed the mission and he was meek about it. Ah, the text says in verses 7 and 8, I'm reading from the New International Version, because I became a a servant of this gospel by the gifts of God's grace through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Even though he was doing this, even though ended up uh, two third, his letters came become two thirds of the New Testament. He still thought that he was the least of them. I mean, we don't know anybody that would get a title and let it go to their heads, right? He still thought that he was the least of them, and he was meek about it. Something I've learned about the word meek is I thought it meant certain things, but I've learned just a little bit about it uh, when I've not ridden a wild horse before. But I've been told that when you break a wild horse, it becomes meek. The horse did not lose its strength. It changed its attitude. So meekness is not about losing your strength. It's about keeping that strength under control. And so he allowed himself to keep his strength under control. And so when we get through rough times, when the road gets tough for us, we ought to be able to hold on to the God's word. We ought to be able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We ought to be able to say that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
We know that it's not all going to be pie in the sky. The Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But when you look at the text, somebody still had to make the weapon. Somebody still had to try to shoot it at you for it to fail. So there'll become there'll come these tough times in your life, but you have to keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling. Why? Because you have Jesus. The Bible says he who has begun a good work in me shall perform it until completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Jesus is not back yet. So I still got work to do. And he received this mystery. Let the church say mystery. Uh, verse five says that uh, uh, which was not uh, in reading this. Or sorry, I'm at four. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery, which was not made known to the people in other generations. That is now revealed by the Spirit and God's holy apostles and prophets. Uh, the adage says that God, that Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. Uh, the Bible is not. Lubies or Piccadilly. We don't come and pick out this part that we don't like and take a little bit of this. I'm going to get some of that and I'm going to pass off on that. I often say, I used to tell the youth ministry, the parts that you don't like are the reason for the parts that you do like. You can't discount an entire half of the testament, the covenant, the letter from God to us because you don't like it. The Old Testament was there for Jesus to fulfill the prophecies because it's in the Old Testament where they have all of these predictions. It's in the Old Testament where he's predicted that Jesus will be born of a woman in Bethlehem of a virgin being the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It was predicted in the Old Testament that he was going to be in the tribe of Judah and be heir to King David's throne. It was predicted that he would be anointed and eternal and he would be called Emmanuel. It was predicted that he would spend some time in Egypt. And while we're talking about Egypt, I'm just wondering, what would you have to look like to be able to hide in Egypt and nobody find you? It was predicted that he would be a prophet and called the son of God, that he was speaking in parables, that the spirit of the Lord would be upon him and that he'd be anointed to preach the good news to the poor and gospel and preach the gospel and open up the blinded eyes and heal the sick and raise the dead. It was predicted that he would be betrayed. It was predicted that he would stand silent before his accusers. What's the song say? He never said a mumbling word. It was predicted that he would be mocked and ridiculed and made fun of and killed with criminals and he'd be buried with the rich. He was in a borrowed tomb. Amen. That was Joseph's tomb. And it was, I say it was borrowed because he wasn't going to be there long. It was predicted that Joseph, that he would be raised from the dead, rise up to heaven and be seated at the right hand of the father. It was all predicted in that Old Testament, concealed. And revealed in the New Testament when he did it. And he did so much more. It's hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that he fulfilled. And this secret, this mystery, this thing that Paul was holding on to because he believed it in the core of his soul. And that's why he was going out preaching it to all. Is that it was not just for those who were born Hebrew. It was was for those who all believed. And because they all believed. We all are co-heirs of the gospel. We all get access to this inheritance. And I want all that God has for me. 
I don't know a person in here. I know I just met you all, but I'm quite sure I don't know a person in here that if you went to the ATM machine down the street, stuck your card in, put in your pin code and typed in $100 and you got 80 back, you'd be okay with that. You wouldn't just say, oh, well, God, don't make no mistakes. I'm going to take my $80 and lose that 20 I just got. I mean, if you're okay with that, let me hold 20. But we want all that God says we should have. Do you know that you should be the head and not the tail? That you should be above and never be beneath? Do you know that you're supposed to be the lender and not the borrower? Do you know that you're the apple of God's eye? Do you know that you're the righteousness of God? Do you know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? It's all in there. All the promises that we got to hold on to and continue to digest. Uh, My day job, my old day job, was that of an audiovisual service engineer. And so what that meant is this big old fancy title that meant that I walked into conference rooms and either installed the equipment or found something wrong with their computer or if they were having a meeting and something went wrong, it was my job to walk in and fix it. I was all right at my job. I got a lot of praise at my job. Johnny's great. I didn't take too much to it because, you know, when you hear Hosanna one week, next week you might hear crucify him. But I still did all right at my job. I closed tickets pretty fast. I fixed a lot of problems. I figured out how to configure audiovisual equipment so that when I fixed it once, I wouldn't have to come back again. Because I didn't like having to run into the middle of a room with somebody panicking about giving a a presentation to the vice president of oil production for the whole United States. I didn't like having to deal with that person dealing with that wrong. I don't do well when people get spastic. And so I'd figure out how to fix it and fix it so I didn't have to come back. But everybody would be like, oh, Johnny's great. And I wasn't that great. All I did was read the manual. Every piece of equipment that had been produced had a manual and you could look it up online or you could download it to your computer. I like to turn pages sometimes. So I would flip the page and I would be able to find out what was wrong and fix it. And because I was able to fix it, I was doing all right at my job. And the more I read the manual, the more it got into me. Why did I bring that up, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Well, I bring it up because the Bible says study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have a manual that we've been given that tells us how to fix broken things, that tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that tells us that he knew us before he formed us in the room, that told us that he will protect us, guide us, love us. It tells us that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. As long as you read it and get it on the inside, you'll be able to recall it. And once you know whose you are, you'll be able to better answer who you are. The righteousness of God. And so that that wisdom that he got, this mystery, that secret, was not meant to be held on to himself. Now there are some things we will keep a secret. And there are some things we should keep a secret. But the fact that 2,000 years ago, a man born of a virgin, suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried, rose again on the third day, we ought not keep that a secret. That did not all happen just for you and your family. He was not born of a virgin just for you. 
He did not suffer under Pontius Pilate just for you. He did not go to Calvary just for you. He did for you, but you also ought to be able to know that he did that for everybody else. And so if he did this good news, you ought to be able to tell somebody about it. And even if you don't tell somebody about it, they ought to know you're a believer. If you didn't tell anybody that you went to church, would they still know you're a Christian? And so because he had this relationship, the Apostle Paul had this relationship, he was able to hold on. Because he had this relationship, he was able to continue to tell people about Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 27 and 13, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we ought to have something to hold on to. No matter how tough the times get, no matter who's in the presidential office, no matter who's our PTO, no matter who's our mayor, no matter who's our government, our governor, rather, God is still on the throne. And we ought to be able to hold on to that while we suffer through. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.